Thank you, Lord, for so Hallelujah. Much. Hallelujah. Didn't the girls do a wonderful job? Yeah. Amanda did a wonderful job. Yeah. You did okay too, Elijah. I still love you. Um, where would I be if Brother Jamie hadn't answered the call? Yeah. I probably would have already been dead. Um, 2013, if you'd listened to the message, are you ready? That would have been... It was about the time that he started praying for me. Now, at that time, I didn't see it. Looking back, though, you you could see the the hand of the Lord in everything if you really look hard enough. On my birthday every year, he would text me and say, Happy birthday. Well, my, his number is not saved in my phone at the time. I'm like, Who's this? This is your pastor. Oh, good night. Really? I'm like, I don't have a pastor. He said, well, it's your wife's pastor. Every year, just randomly, happy birthday. Who's this? It's your pastor. But I love him. Because if he hadn't answered the call, he wouldn't have prayed for me. He wouldn't have stood in the gap. And I might have put a bullet in my head. So I thank him. I thank for all that he's done. When the Lord pulled me out of the workforce, me and him would go to the gym, and we would spend hours upon hours talking outside. Man, would be like, where have you been? Y'all went to the gym at like 7 o'clock. Here it is, 1030. Uh, we were outside talking. But I had questions. I was hungry. He probably, he probably wore out after I, I talked his ear off for three hours. Who knows? But I appreciate him. For everything that he's done, for his prayers, for his, his outpouring, personally, collectively. So... I just, it's awesome. Thank you, Brother Jamie. I love you. All right, so you'll stand with me. We'll get to it. That's how I'm going to honor Brother Jamie today. I'm going to preach the word. Turn with me to Matthew 16, 13, and 18. Now, remember, we don't have, uh, we don't have service tonight. And there's no service Wednesday. Next Sunday, wear your ugly sweater. Or ugly t-shirt. We don't know what the weather's going to be. It's Florida. You don't like the weather? Wait 10 minutes. What? Oh, sorry. Don't wear it. Sunday morning. I'd have let it play out. If you're there, say amen. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who? Do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some, thou, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah's, and others Jeremiah's, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Solomon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For a while, I want to talk to us about a house, a physical house, a metaphorical house, a spiritual house, a house we all need to dwell in, no matter where we are spiritually, a house that is fit for the king. I want to talk to you about the house that Christ built. Let us pray. Father, I love you, Jesus. I want to praise your name forever. I want to walk in your presence. I pray that you would pour your spirit out on us today. I pray that, Lord, you would show up in this church and sit right there in the front row. And as you sit, I pray that your sweet Holy Ghost will fill this room. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach every heart to obey, every mind and heart to understand. Lord, I pray that you would grip our spirits and do a work in us. And we will give you honor and glory for all the work that is done. And in your name, the only name that matters, the wonderful name of Jesus. And all that loved him, shout it. Amen and amen. In the verse right before our text, Jesus was speaking to the disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Lord was not referring to the bread, but to the evil doctrine and conduct. In Luke 21, the leaven of the Pharisees is defined as hypocrisy. They professed to adhere to the word of God, but in in the smallest of detail, yet their obedience was external and shallow. Inwardly, they were evil and corrupt. The leaven of the Sadducees was rationalism. The free thinkers of their day, they, like the liberals of the day, have built a house of doubt and denials. They denied the existence of angels and spirits. They denied the resurrection of the body. And if there is no belief in any resurrection, then Jesus cannot be lifted up and be the one true king. They denied the immortality of the soul, soul, and they denied internal punishment. The leaven of skepticism, if tolerated, will spread and permeate like mold in a house. Like termites in wood is our house, the house that Christ built. Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee and five miles east of the Jordan. When Jesus came to the surrounding villages, an incident generally recognized as the apex of his teaching ministry occurred. Up to this point, Jesus had been leading his disciples to a true understanding of his person, an understanding of who he really was, but they hadn't reached it yet. Having succeeded in this, he now turns his purpose towards the cross. He begins by asking his disciples what men were saying about his identity. Who do men say that I am? The replies ran the gamut. The answer ranged from John the Baptist to Elijah to Jeremiah to one of the other prophets. To the average person, he was one among many. He was good, but not the best. Great, but not the greatest. A prophet, but not the prophet. This view will never do. This view condemns him with faint praise. 
And we already learned. The view puts the Lord just above normal people. That is not the view we should have ever. He is king and should be exalted as king. Jesus is not only king, he is the king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He controls everything and everyone. If he were only another man, he was a fraud. Because he claimed to be equal to God the Father in this house. Is this the house that Christ built? Jesus asked a lot of questions. This one, this was one of his favorite teaching tools. He is now asking the disciples who the crowd think he is. They say, they say to the, they reply to the multitude of Old Testament prophets that had come back to life. But when Jesus turns the question on his disciples, okay, that's what the crowd thinks. But who do you say that I am? That's what the everyday person says. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The question draws out a response that is instructive to us all. This question brought from the Peter the historic confession. You are the Christ, son of the living God. Peter doesn't just say you're Jesus. Some baby found in a manger. He says you are the Christ, son of the living God. You are the Messiah. Peter proclaims Jesus' divine nature. Jesus' question to the disciples, who do you say that I am, was not a sign of ignorance. Jesus knows all things, including what was on the minds of the disciples. The question was also not motivated by some type of self-conceit or vanity. Jesus don't need to doll himself up to look good. And he had no desire to fish for compliments. Rather, his question was aimed at provoking the disciples to consider their level of faith. When the Lord told me to retire and I stepped out about a month into it, man was at prayer meeting at the church. I was watching the girls. I'm looking at the bills. I step outside. I'm sweating. Lord, I don't know how we're ever going to make it. I got no income. We're going to drown. I never said that out loud. Amanda come home. I met her at the door. She said, I got, I got a message for you. I said, all right. She said, the Lord told me to tell you I didn't pull you out of Egypt for you to go back. Ooh, copy that. So the Lord knows. He has to build our faith. Jesus began a conversation by asking the disciples a related question. Who do the crowds say that I am? In response, the disciples related various things that they had heard. The opinions include several prophets come back to life, pointing to the fact that the crowd viewed Jesus as someone special, but the crowd's view was all wrong. So Jesus directs the question to the disciples themselves, who do you say that I am? In other words, are you following the crowds? Are you sticking with the conventional wisdom about me? Or do you have another 
more insightful answer. What do you really think? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you love Jesus? Do you give the Lord praise? Do you pray and talk with the Lord? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus? Or is he someone special, but not special enough? Do you view Jesus as a king, but not the king? Amen. I'm all. But before anyone else can answer, Peter speaks up. And to answer the question, Peter affirms his belief that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And more than that, the son of the living God. By this time, the disciples had seen many miracles. Raising the widow's widow's son from the dead, calming the sea, casting out demons and feeding the 5,000. The disciples knew that Jesus was more than a prophet. They knew he was more than special. They knew he was absolutely unique. They knew he was God in the flesh. In response to Peter's declaration, Jesus expresses the blessedness of his faith. Blessed are thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. God, in his grace, had opened the eyes of the disciples to see who Jesus truly was. I could see them all walking. I, too, like to visualize when I read. I could see them all walking. This is what's on their mind. Man, who is this guy really? He knows what they're thinking. So he asked, who do people say that he is? They give their response, and when Jesus turns the question on them, Peter has a revelation. He sees Jesus in his glory. And when he yells out, because Peter can't contain himself, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. The other disciples see Jesus in his glory also, and like a big light bulb going off. Now they know God the Father has shown them God the Son. Not just a prophet, but the prophet. Not just a king, but the king. Jesus then adds to say unto them, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We all know that more controversy has swirled around this verse than almost any verse in the gospel. The question is, who or what is the rock? Part of the problem comes from the Greek words, for Peter and for rock are similar, but the meanings are different. The first, for Peter, is petros, meaning stone or loose rock. The second is petra, means rock, such as a rocky ledge. So what Jesus really said was, you are Peter, or stone, and on this rock I will build my church. If Peter is not the rock, then what is? If we stick to the context, the obvious answer is that the rock is Peter's confession, that Christ is the son of the living God, the truth on which the church is founded. That is the house that Christ built. Ephesians 2 and 20 teaches that the church is built on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. That statement made by Paul, that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, does not refer to them. It refers to the foundation laid down by the teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament reveals Jesus. The Old Testament is the foundation 
that was laid for the church as a revelation of Jesus himself. The Old Testament happened over thousands of years, and when you build a house, the foundation takes the longest. The foundation of a home is essential to the value and the safety of its structure. The construction must be done correctly in terms of types in type of uh, in terms of the type of foundation being formed, avoiding problems with settlement. Properly preparing the subgrade through final curing stages. Each phase of the construction has requirements and components upon the structure, and that depends on a fine balance. First, the ground must be broken and grading. You got to grade the lot to get it tested for compaction, digging trenches for the footing, and then set the batter boards to level the house. Two, installing the rebar, installing stem walls, and then the ground and inside of the form walls are prepped for the slab. Plumbing's ran. Plastic is laid down on the ground as a radon shield. Radon is a gas that can, that can seep through the cracks in the foundation and cause cancer to the, to the people inside. Then the concrete is pumped into place. It's smooth and allowed to cure. Once that is done, then the site is cleaned and ready for framing. It's ready for the framing crew to come in and build the rest of the house. So when Jesus asks the question, he receives a correct response from Peter. This marks a turning point in Jesus' ministry with his disciples Starting then, the Lord gives his disciples additional information. As shocking as it was for them to hear, that moment on Jesus begins to tell them that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He tells them he will be killed, and on three days he will be raised back to life. So the question remains, who do you say that he is? He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, or is he just another prophet? Good, but not great. A prophet, but not the prophet. A king, but not the king. Is this the house that Christ built? Christ is spoken as a rock in 1 Corinthians 10 and 4. In connection to this, remember, he was talking to Jews. If we trace out the figurative use of the word rock through the Hebrew scriptures, we find that it never, it is never used to symbolize man, but always to symbolize God. So Jesus takes the Old Testament illustration of the rock that is always a symbol of his deity and God himself. And God, excuse me, symbol of his deity and said upon God himself Christ the son of the living God I will build my church this is the house that Christ built founded upon Jesus the Old Testament is the foundation Peter's confession is a bedrock on which the foundation is to be laid now that the disciples know who Jesus really is his ministry shifts towards the cross he is the lamb that was slain for the foundation of the word world He must finish the house. But Jesus goes on to say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This can be understood in two ways. One, the gates of hell are pictured in an unsuccessful 
offense against the church. The church will survive all attacks upon it. They will, no doubt. But the second thing, the church itself pictured as taking the offense and coming off as the victor. The powers of death will be defeated by the church that has Christ in it and working through it. We wonder why we don't see healings anymore. We wonder why we don't see massive miracles because the church is sitting back waiting, just riding the bus till Christ comes. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what we're called to do. You want to fill these pews? Christ has got to be in it. It's got to draw the world under to change them. But disciples don't want to hear that he has to suffer. He's the long-awaited king of Israel. Why must he die? He must die so the house can be finished. In house building, after the foundation is done, the framers come in and they build walls. They put the roof on. They finish the house. Once that is all done, the house can now be lived in. In our text, we have the foundation. Jesus tells the disciples what must happen. And later in the gospel, we see his death. When he is on the cross, Jesus lets us know it is done. What does he say? It is finished. Jesus died so we could all have a relationship with the Father. And how did he do that? He built a house with two beams and three nails. That is the work of the master carpenter. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He bowed his head, and for me, he died. That's love. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel had the Ark of the Covenant. This symbol was to show them that God was always with them. And as long as they were following the Ark, no nation, no kingdom, no devil could come against them. That is the house that Christ built. What I find amazing in this book is all the types and shadows for Jesus in the Old Testament. Everything in this book points to Christ. So look at it this way. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The children of Israel did not have Bible story. They didn't have storybooks like we got. They had to be shown. They were given pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament. The Passover, the Exodus, the sacrificial systems the priesthood, ceremonies in the tabernacle, and the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was the most significant object in the old covenant worship. It was a box overlaid with gold in the most most holy place, a golden urn holding the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant were placed in the box. The mercy seat covered the box, Two chair and facing one another overshadowed, overshadowed the mercy seat. When God came down, his glory rested above that mercy seat between the cherub. The manna represents the life-giving bread that God gives his people in Christ. Aaron's rod is a story of jealous men who, who called his priesthood into question. God commanded that the men lay their rods down next to Aaron's, and the Lord made the rod of the men he had chosen bud. Jesus is the great high priest chosen by the Father for all eternity. 
the rod was placed in the ark to show that Christ was the Lord's chosen and anointed priest. The Ten Commandments were also placed in the box. This shows that the moral of God would forever stand before the presence of God. It also represents the law that would be kept in Christ. Christ would fully obey all the commands of God for his people. On top of the ark was the mercy seat. When the priest went into the Holy of Holies, he would sprinkle blood on the sacri- of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. This represents the atoning blood of Jesus. Israel's sin had formed a barrier between God and them. The sin of mankind has also formed this barrier. God must look at man through the lens of, a, of the law on account of his holiness. How can unrighteous man stand before the presence of a righteous God? The dilemma is resolved through the blood of Jesus. Just as the blood on the mercy seat, the blood of Christ stands between the law of God and the presence of God. When God the Father saw the blood of his Son, his wrath was satisfied. Through the blood of Jesus, the transgressions of God's people had been forgiven. Now the Lord sees believers through the lens of the law. He sees the believers not through the lens of the law, but through the lens of the gospel. I find that funny, all the pictures that correlate back and forth. John 20, 11 and 12 reads, But Mary stood without in the sepulcher weeping, and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus lay. This symbolizes the symbolism of the ark reaches grand climax on the day of atonement. When the blood of the sacrifice, being the blood of Jesus, was sprinkled on the mercy seat, the glory of God appeared. It was a picture of a restored presence of God through the resurrection of Christ. When Mary Magdalene came to the tomb seeking the body of Jesus, she didn't find it. All she cared about is where they took his body. She wouldn't look in at the big picture. But she looks in. She looks in the tomb, and she finds two angels, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been. The presence of God had been restored to the believer in the resurrection of Christ, a picture of the Old Testament ark. Christ had built the house. All things point to Jesus. And if Jesus is not in it, or it does not point to the Lord, it's not of God. The problem today with the church is just like Israel. They have lost the ark. They have lost the presence. They have lost his spirit. Or they just don't let the spirit go before them. They want Jesus around when the storms come, but they don't want him to rule. We treat Jesus like King Saul treated David. We want him to slay giants, and we want him to sing evil spirits away, but we don't want him to be king. Come on. The Lord is coming back for a church full of him, on fire for him, and dedicated to him. In Revelations 3, 1 through 4, he gives a warning. And and unto the angels of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, thou livest, and art dead. 
Be watchful and strengthen thy things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before the Lord. Remember, therefore, how how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If thou art shall not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The Lord talked to the church of Sardis. His word sliced through the church. Although there were a few faithful followers, most were spiritually dead and dying. The church of Sardis was a church of lifeless profession. It had reputation as a Christian assembly, but it went through a formal, dull routine. It did not flow with spiritual life. It did not sparkle with the supernatural. Christ tells them they better wake up. He's coming back, and when he does, judgment will fall. It will come upon them. But the remnant that was left would walk white with the Lord. They had not defiled their garments with worldliness, and they would walk the streets of gold. Their names would be in the book of life, and Jesus himself would confess those names to the Father. That is the house that Christ built. When the people call upon the name of Jesus, he will fill the house. The Father will be looking for his Son. The Father is always looking for his Son. He will look in every house for his Son. Will the Father find his Son in every house? Is our house the house that Christ built? I can see the Father. He's sitting and he's looking. He's going to look at every church. Where's my son? Where is my son? I don't see my son. No, nope, I don't see him in this church. What about this church? Do I see my son? Where? Where is my son? I don't see him. Well, you confess to have him, but I don't see him. I don't see him. I guess you'll have to do. I don't see him in any of the other churches. Is that the problem with the church today as a whole? He's looking for his son. Where's his son? Where is my son? But he left us a he left us a way back if we don't have him. Second Chronicles. Let's read this together. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Most people look at it like he's going to heal the land. It's going to be fruitful. To me, it, it's more of a spiritual need. I'm going to heal, I'm going to heal the land. I'm going to make 
the living waters come across the land, and we're going to be a spiritual revival. If you don't get it, all that's been preached this week, praise. Fill yourselves, the church, with Jesus. He's coming. It ain't going to be long. He's coming. I'm still looking for my son. So if we call his name, we call his name, we shout his praise, Jesus, 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 I see my son, woohoo, I see my son, hallelujah to the Lamb of God, hallelujah, 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 stand and I'll close. I won't keep you too long. I know everybody's probably hungry, right? That's true. We had a great camp meeting. There were a lot of good messages. The meetings were often. They were they were just all awesome. The Lord moved mightily in those services. I find it funny how how everything corresponded. I had my message probably a month to to six weeks out before any of this. And when Brother Chris stood up and he started preaching Sunday, I didn't really think too much about it. Monday, then Brother Elijah preached, and I'm like, man, I can see tidbits of what I what I have, but uh, not really. So I started praying. Lord, are you sure this is what you want me to preach? Like, I was sure up until today, and I don't know too much. And Tuesday night, Elijah steps in here, and I'm like, oh, man, he's dancing all over my junk. And I'm like, all right, I get it. Stay the course. If you didn't get a blessing this week, that's your fault. The Lord was here, working and moving. Thanks be to the Lamb of God. I noticed one thing in this camp meeting. There was an underlying theme. Don't give up. The Lord built a house for his children to dwell in. He will supply what we need. But we have to be ready for eternity. We have to stand on the word. We have to stand when no one else will stand. Be planted on the rock. When we get weak, we have to reach for God-given strength. So we can climb to higher ground in the Lord. We must be careful that we don't fall asleep and miss it. We are too close to quit. We should allow the Lord to take us to new places. But we have to move when he says move. And we must keep going for the crown. The Lord's going to return very soon. We have to be ready. We can't let the worldliness come into our house and cause mold or cancer to radiate throughout. We have to live in the house that Christ built. The Lord built a house that the gates of hell cannot overcome. He died so that we would be able to have a relationship with him. Storms might, storms might come, but the house will remain. Because when the Lord builds a house, nobody can tear it down. 
Father, I've delivered my heart. I pray that when we come to these altars, Lord, that we will give it all to you. I pray, Lord, that we will dwell in your house, that you will find your son in us. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us and through us so that the world knows that this is the house that Christ built. Glory to your name. Come on and join us around these altars. Praise the Lord. Bow and worship whatever you feel led to do. Just tell him you love him.